we go. My name's Todd. And this is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 649, Why Listen to Zen Parenting Radio, because it'll help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Um, will you tease out the topic of today's show, my darling? So I think we're going to talk about um, behaviors that can lead to negative outcomes. How's that? Okay. So basically, we uh, watched a documentary this weekend called Phoenix Rising, which is Evan Rachel Wood's story about her experience with being abused, traumatized by Marilyn Manson. And we, while we may discuss that a little bit, you know, the experience we had with watching it, it's really about the bigger picture of understanding what happens what abusers do to bring you in and the experiences that people have before they're, they are abused, how trauma plays a role in their life and how to, you know, what does this have to do with parenting? Everything. Because there are pieces of this that we can, as parents, be thoughtful about ahead of time in what we're teaching, what we're explaining, what we're sharing with our kids, and also realizing why being hard on our kids and not being someone they can connect with or have a a, a relationship where they feel seen, heard, valued, it leaves a vacuum for other people to come in and fill that role. And that can and again, this is there is no always and never. There are lots of different experiences in the mix here. I just think that we can discuss some language and some uh, challenges that present themselves when it comes to us and when it comes to our children, especially when they're young. And I kind of wanted to spend some time. I know I'm talking a lot here. Spend some time going over language and words like love bombing and isolation and gaslighting and. Um, uh, grooming. So you understand what these, this means as a parent and as an individual, as a human being. And you can also share this with your teens. So I said to, and kids, I mean, you can share maybe this podcast with older kids. I said to Todd before we started, it'd be nice if parents could share this, this discussion. So kids at least have a, are aware of these things. Cause I would have liked to have been, I've had a lot of experiences with, um, I've had some traumatic experiences sometimes when I have been groomed, um, abused and, you know, gotten involved in things that were very culty. And I think if I would have known the signs, maybe it wouldn't have happened. Is there any reason for a trigger warning? Because we are talking about abuse, right? Yeah, I guess so. Like, I, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to get into, like, the salacious details of the documentary because there's plenty of them because I want to talk about a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, But for those of you who are still in the healing process of being um, traumatized or this is your history and you are still kind of working through that or you just prefer to not listen to this, um, I totally get that, you know, like that. So um, I guess a trigger warning is we are going to be talking about how people can be – we'll be talking about abuse. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I'm in. Okay. And just so everybody knows, I timestamp these. And by the way, um, you're probably listening, but if you want, you can watch us. Um, Just just scroll on the show notes and you can watch it. Kathy and I are recording it. And I know I'm going to be sharing some videos and it might 
for those of you who like to watch instead of li- just listen, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I timestamp everything. So if you do want to share this with your teenagers, uh, you can just fast forward to. So in the show notes, it says, because we're about, we're going to talk about Kathy's end parenting moment and a few other things before we get started. So you can fast forward to those places oh, in the podcast. Why would we want to talk about your Zen parenting moment? Just fast forward. Oh, but do do you do that when you listen to podcasts? Do you fast forward all the time? What do you fast forward through? Well, like what are obviously commercials? Okay. Uh, but sometimes if I just think if I'm bored, I just fast forward see if they or I'll look at the show notes in there. Do you? Saying, oh yeah. I am not a show note looker. Well, not everybody sta- does timestamps either, so you can only do That's it true. with timestamps. That's true. I just, it's, I do fast forward through advertisements and they make it easy because they actually, sometimes there's like a different picture that, you know, it has the podcast picture. And then as you're fast forwarding it, you know, you're still in an ad. Sure. Um, but I, I tend to be like, I just listen. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, it's just, I'm just curious. I was just wondering if you did. Before we get to your Zen parenting moment, I just wonder if you have any take on our, our Congress is going to, I think, do away with um, the daylight, the switching of the clocks. Uh-huh. And do you have any take on that? No. Um, and not because I think it's right or I wrong. I think it's going to pass because basically um, what I, I just did a little research okay. today. Okay. Um, in March, it's called daylight saving okay. time, not daylight savings time. Okay. So the real time is from October to March. Okay. And then we came up with this idea, and apparently it wasn't for the farmers. Oh, even what was it for? Even we all think it was for something else. Um, it had to do... The farmers did, didn't care, I guess, because they just start working whenever it's daylight. Okay. So it, it had more to do with um, city and suburb people wanting to... Uh, sleep in more or something like that, and daylight would interrupt them or something. For like real? That. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I read a little something. I'm not completely versed on it. City um, and suburb people. I mean, I could find it if you want. It might. No, take I'm bit. just. I have not. I've done zero like looking into this. Um, studies show that the ritual is linked to things like higher rates of heart disease, car accidents, and depression. Still, for over a century, everyone's kind of just gone along with it. But yesterday, Marco Rubio, fresh off a one hour of less sleep than usual, said, enough is enough. As he put it, we don't have to keep doing this stupidity anymore. Everyone in the Senate agreed. Next up is the House and President Biden have to take the bill up. Um, And then... But sleep specialists are saying it should be the standard time instead. That's something I did read, is that we're choosing the wrong one. Right. Sometimes we don't, like, investigate the science enough. Um, (laughs) Imagine that. We make decisions based on our emotions. These are not shocking things. Um, But, again, I'm saying that without really reading about it. I think it's interesting the things that we – I'm okay with it. Like, when I had young kids, these changing of the clock situations were difficult. Do you remember? Yeah. So I'm totally like in understanding of this and I'm not against it, but I'm also interested in sometimes the things that we end up passing versus the things that we don't. So daylight, yeah, right? That's what we have to focus on. Daylight savings time in the United States was not intended to benefit farmers, as many people think. Contrary to popular belief, American farmers did not lobby for daylight saving to have more time to work in the fields. In fact, agricultural industry was deeply opposed to this first time switch when it was implemented back in 1918. The sun, not the clock, dictated farmer's schedule, so daylight saving was very disruptive. Farmers had to wait an extra hour for dew to evaporate to harvest. Hay, hired hands worked less since they had left. They still left at the same time for dinner, and cows weren't ready to be milked 
an hour earlier to meet shipping schedules. There's a lot there. Yeah, that's that's boring. Agra- ag- agrarian interests led the fight for a 1919 repeal of National Daylight Savings Time. Um, rather, it was rural. It, rather than rural interests, it has been urban entities such as mm-hmm. retail outlets and recreational businesses that have championed daylight savings for decades. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it was the city city people. The city folk? The city folk. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, but I, I think it's going to pass, so yeah. we're not going to have to spring forward or fall back. Yeah. The only bummer is what I love about my summer uh-huh. is that around June 21st, it doesn't get dark until like 8.45 or 9 o'clock. So now what's going to happen? Well, actually, you know, it, it'll always be like that. Right. So you get a little more of it. So Yeah. So it's going to be like that forever. I think what me, what it means is in the mornings, in the wintertime, it's going to be really, really dark. Okay. In the mornings. All right. I think that's what it means, but who knows? Yeah. Here we go. Um, your Zen, ter- Zen Parenting Moment, sweetie, uh-huh. it was on effective communication. Yeah. I'm going to play a little clip from... A band I like to call. So why did you use that line? And sorry, I didn't fade in. It may have woken everybody up. Woo! Um, first of all, I mentioned that song to you as I was writing this because I decided to use it, and you said you'd never heard it before. I've never heard that. You've never heard that Coldplay song. Pulled that up this morning. All right. Well, um, I chose that. I, I don't know. Sometimes the reason that I even put a quote at the top of all these unparenting moments is because usually I'll be writing something, and I'll either think of a song or a quote. And that's the one I use. Right. So the writing, like, just, you know, it reminds me of something. So I think when I was talking about effective communication, what was my first line? Um, it's a contradictory message to yell at our yeah. kids and that they need to be kind or shame them into giving from the heart. Yeah. So basically the gist is, is what we are asking people to do or be, we are not demonstrating ourselves. Mm -hmm. So to, let's just bring it to parenting. When we are frustrated because our kids aren't being kind and then we yell at them and how contradictory, I'm not even going to use paradoxical. I'm going to say it's just a contradiction. You know, we are saying we are yelling and maybe being mean or being scary, but then telling our kids to be kind. Mm. It, and, and how we want our kids to be to communicate in a certain way, yet what they may experience in our home is not a healthy type of communication, which we're actually going to get into in today's show. That's part of it, is that it's like we think our kids, again, it goes back to this idea of they're watching what we do and they are experiencing interactions with us. So however we're showing up is what they're learning. Mm-hmm. They're not learning because of a book we read them. It, sure. it may help. They're not learning because you're telling them something. If you are having conversations with your children where you stomp out and slam the door and you are treating them passive aggressively, that's what they learn to do. And there is, and, and it sounds, sometimes parents like it takes their breath away when I say stuff like that. And 
like, oh boy, well then I really got to think about this. And it's like, exactly. Not think about it with shame and guilt, but like, how do I want my children to communicate? I have to practice that with them. And notice again, as always, I'm using the word practice because sometimes we do walk away. And sometimes that is the best choice because we don't want to yell or we need a well, breath. Well, even that's good modeling. Right. Walking away. Right. And that, but then we come back. Yeah. And how we, do we say, come back? how do we come back? And, and realizing that our ability to practice this with our children, with our partner, is how kids learn. If we have a, a household where nobody talks to each other, then our kids don't like, they're not feeling connected. You know what I mean? And when I say that, I understand that teens go in their room and close their door and they're not talking as much. Like I'm not saying it has to be like it was when they were really little. Things change and kids need space and all of those things are true. But then even if our kids are like going through a phase of where they don't want to talk that much, how are the other people in the house talking to each other? You know what I mean? Like there's all, how are we talking to our friends? How are we talking about other people? You know, are we gossipers in our home? Are we people who revel in other people's challenges? Are we people that make fun of other people? And these are all things that we have to consider because that's what our kids learn to do. You were actually just talking the other day about you were kind of a smart aleck when yes. you were younger yes. and that it took you, it, and we kind of use smart aleck like being like, oh, he was a smart aleck, but it took a few people in your life saying to you, you're kind, you're hurting me. I had nobody holding up a mirror to me right, at all. Right. And then I had it in high school and then some college friends like, yeah, dude, you, sometimes your smart ass is funny and sometimes it's just mean. not, the timing isn't that good. And then um, me. And then in my 20s, when you and I started dating, I would use a smart assy attitude and make fun of you in mm -hmm. front of my family. Right. And you held up a mirror to me saying, dude, that doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And it, I didn't stop on the first try, I don't think. I think it took yeah. me a few uh, experiences to say, oh, wow, you're serious about that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was making fun of you at your own expense. And, and so, I thought it was lighthearted. Right. And, and that's what I was going to say is let's like really talk about why would Todd do that. There's a few things that happen when we are smart Alex or when we make fun of people in other people's presence. There's a sense of alignment and belonging. You're trying to demonstrate to your family, like I kind of got this under control and isn't she a little whatever. I don't even remember what the things were about. They usually were about my perception about something or my lack of understanding of the sports you were watching or there was kind of like a it's my family against you. Yeah. And and that can be, that can take a while when you're new to a family. Like, you know, Todd and I had to go through, you know, we've been together 20 years now, but we had to go through in those first couple of years of you are still a member of your family and you always will be, but you're also creating a new family. Yeah. And and if you're doing that your family its... against me, yeah. this is going to be a problem, yeah. you know? Um, you know, and a lot of times we get very harsh, like you're done with that family, you're moving on to the next one. It's It doesn't need to be that harsh. It's just more like I honor where I came from mm -hmm. and now I am creating something new. Yeah. And so I need to show the same honor and respect toward, you know, my wife, her family, our children that we're going to have, their friends. Sure. You're creating Whole something new. new thing that, you're yeah. creating, that we're creating. Um, okay, so let's get to... So if you want to subscribe to Kathy's End Parenting Moment, it comes up, it comes out every Friday. Just go to zenparentingradio.com and you can sign up. I think there's a banner at the top. So let's... Real quick, um, the NCA... NCAA? NCAA. I was going to say AA. People don't say that. NCAA. Really. Okay, NCAA. Aren't I winning? 
The um, well, Zen Parenting and Men Living did a March Madness tournament for the female brackets, right? Uh, for the women, and let me see where you are. I right think now. I was winning at one point. I don't think you're winning anymore, sweetie. And yeah. I made my picks based on like some personal, like oh, I like this school. Or I, um, you know, have visited there before, or this is the Midwest. Uh, Lindsay Garfield is in first place. Oh, Lindsay, good job. Nice. Um, uh, and actually, Cameron is tied for first place. Sweetie, you're tied for ninth with oh, JC. Okay. Well, good company. Yeah. It's with my daughter. There's a seven-way tie for first place right now. So we'll see what happens. Seven-way tie? Yeah. So I'm not in that, though. No. I'm in ninth. Yeah. So you only read a few people, though. So why are there seven in uh, there? Well, because there's a bunch of other people in oh, first place. okay. All right. Um, so yes, you are in striking distance. And who do you have? You have South Carolina winning it all. Okay. The Gamecocks of, of South, South Carolina. So Todd sends these funny emails about who's in first place, and he like calls people by certain names, like... Like, um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones you wrote, like Kevin, um, Kevin, I lost to Todd, Todd Adams and pickleball, pickleball last Friday. And you called, he said, Skylar eighth grade eighth Adams. Grade. And then one was Skylar. I chose my picks based on mascots or Mr. Bear's tail. Mr. Adams. Bear's tail. Mine was at one point you said, Kathy, my feet are hot. My feet are cold. Now they're hot again. Now they're cold. Now they're can you, cold. Could, can, you, can I put my feet on your legs? <laughs> Did you like that one? It just made me laugh because Todd gets so annoyed at me because I, when we go to bed, I have all of these um, like temperature uh, fluctuations. Throughout your body. Throughout, so everywhere. Feet, like feet my feet will feet, have its own weather system. My hands. <laughs> your belly and your back will have another weather system. My belly. Really? I'm just making stuff up. I was going to say, okay. Different parts of your body okay. carry their own weather system. I think it's just feet and hands. No. Okay. No, you're much more complicated Am than I? feet and hands, sweetie. <laughs> well, I, um, I sometimes have to bring a hot water bottle to bed to warm up my feet, and then I get really hot and annoyed, and I have to take... Well, the problem is... Yes, what is the problem, I, Todd? I... I I don't invite you, but I'm okay with okay. when you put your cold feet on my warm legs. Great, thank you. When the when the tables are turned, that's not okay. Okay, so I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. And this is the thing: it's not the tables are turned, but okay. Let me say this: this is important. I bring up my temperature at night all the time to a point where Todd's like, "Yep." You know, like this is a story well, you, you tell me every yeah, day. Yeah, you talk about it as if it's interesting, right? Because it is to me. Because I think it's interesting. Yeah, because it's not, like but my I'll feet are hot, my hands are hot. So when I got into bed the other night and I was a perfect temperature, and I even looked at you and said, "I am a perfect temperature right now." <laughs> and then you put your cold feet on me. Yeah. And I said, "Please don't do that." Warm them up. I'm an I'm a perfect temperature right now, and and you may say, "Well, that's not fair mm. because you put your feet on me." But who's the one who's constantly trying to regulate her temperature, who talks about it incessantly, and you get annoyed? So I can't be that warmer for you. Yeah. So we just need to make an agreement. This is a one-way transaction. Or I'll fill up a hot water bottle for you. You will? Will you really do that? You're laying in bed, you're ready to go to sleep, and I'll be like, my feet are cold. Will you go? And now I know you would. I would. Yeah, I would. If I asked, but it's just, that's a big ask. It it is, but- What's easier is I just put my cold feet on your warm legs. And then I will talk more about my my temperature in my body. Like what I'm trying to say is- That's fine. Who- who talks about that more, me or you? You. Okay. So then I don't, when I feel 
warm or just perfect temperature wise, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like maybe you could understand that it may not be great to then change the temperature of me. I say we get to the okay, gist of the go. show. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. literally 20 minutes in. Hey, you know, but I don't th- think we're the only ones dealing with body temperature issues. This is going to be a two-part show. Anyways. Okay, yeah, we got so plenty we, of time. We have some time. So let's dive in. Real quick, oh, quick question. You just told me we are going to dive in. We are. Should I play the trailer, which I have queued up? So sure, people go ahead. Can, all right, so give me a second here. Uh, and if you want to watch this, you can. Okay. Uh, I need to move it over here. And... Here we go. It's always really hard for me to look at photos of myself from before. I've kept this journal since I was 15. I made a new friend. I'm here today to talk about Brian Warner, also known to the world as Marilyn Manson. He studied how to manipulate people. He groomed her. He's a predator. Everyone was looking at Marilyn Manson and they weren't looking at Brian Warner. Numerous women heard my story and they knew exactly who it was. I realized that I wasn't the only one that this had happened to. You're not alone. I know, it's crazy. We were outside of the statute of limitations. We had run out of time and nothing in our evidence could help us. Statistically, a lot of victims take seven to 10 years to even recognize that they were a victim of this abuse. I became an activist fighting for victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Not only did people hear our stories, but they said, yeah, we hear you and something does need to change. Any bills that will expand the statute of limitations is really important to survivors like us. We need to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. I realize that this is the first time I haven't been doubted or questioned or shamed. This is the first time that someone was really listening. I was like, what is this feeling? And it's this feeling of being believed. All right, there we go. So what's interesting about this and and I watched this when Todd was gone this weekend and then I asked him if he would watch it because I I felt like not only did I want to discuss it but I think it's really important to to highlight and to make a point of how what assault what abuse what trauma looks like and there have been all sorts of um documentaries that have come out recently. I actually just wrote them down, oh, the good. ones that I've watched. So Leaving Neverland, which was about uh, the, you know, the alleged child sexual abuse, you know, by Michael Jackson, uh, Catch and Kill, which was Ronan Farrow's investigation of Harvey Weinstein, um, On the Record, which was um, Drew Dixon, who was a Def Jam executive, and she tells her story of alleged rape by Russell Simmons, um, Surviving R. Kelly, um, that was on Lifetime. And then we need to talk about Cosby, which I recently just finished. Um, and then Athlete A, which was about the journalist, lawyers, gymnasts who exposed the abuse of Larry Nassar. So these are just some of them, um, all of them, which I've seen. And so why do, first of all, let me say, why do I watch these things? I watch these things because I see um, common threads. I see how um, there is a pattern uh, a 
typical predatory behavior that even sometimes the person who is preying on the people, they don't, when I say they don't know what they're doing, don't get me wrong, they do, but that their history lends to what they're doing, that their experiences then create a, you know, develop, they develop into a person who can actually be a predator. Um, I, one of the things that's nice about Phoenix Rising is that they spend a great deal of time talking about uh, Marilyn Manson's real name is Brian Warner, his Brian Warner's history and what happened to him. And I feel like that it, as a as a social worker, I feel like that is super important to understand how this occurs and then also getting into the history of the person who was um, groomed by the the person who was preying on them. So it's like to understand the people's history is super important. So you talked about common threads, and I just think it's important for me to mention that most of the time the perpetrators are male. Uh-huh. In and, these situations. And yeah. the, the the survivors uh, are usually female, but there's also plenty of male survivors. Well, also. like in the, in the Leaving Neverland, those are male survivors. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just so, I've been talking about this with guys so much. Okay. There's so many times guys are like, yeah, but, yeah, but. Right. I just want to say- most of the time, the perpetrators are male, and they're and the survivors are typically female. But there's so many men and boys that are also survivors of that type of abuse. Think about it this way: when we look at the statistics and the data, exactly what you said is true. And doesn't that make sense in the structure of our power. society? Power, yeah, power who dynamics. has power? Yeah. you know. And so this isn't this shouldn't be a big leap for people to to see that systemically, this is usually how it plays out, that they're, I mean, let's just talk about domestic abuse and let's take all these famous people out of it. Domestic abuse, of course, people can show me incidents of women who have abused men or, but, you know, by and large, it is men who are harming women, you know? And so we have to, again, I think one of the problems with talking about these kind of documentaries, these kind of issues is the whataboutism that gets thrown in. And I'll just give you one example is that this documentary is coming out and Brian Warner filed a lawsuit just two weeks ago, March 2nd, against Evan Rachel Wood and the other woman who brought this, you know, documentary to be saying, you know, defamation of character and all of that kind of thing. And he puts out all this information about they forged this document or they didn't go through the right legal process. You can read all about it on your own. And the thing is, people be like, oh, this document wasn't real. And it's like, okay, but what about these million? Like, let's just say we'll give him that one. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that none of this happened? Right. They're just trying, he is just trying to poke holes. Absolutely. And decredible. And it make them not, not as credible. credible. And, and the thing is, is what's frustrating to me is I read an article written um, by a man um, talking about this lawsuit and saying, wow, this really, you know, makes it difficult to watch the documentary knowing that there's these issues that are questionable. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. You don't think somebody who is being called out now by 16 women for not just abusing them and assaulting them, but but literally, you know, for some of them torturing them, yeah. that he is not going to attempt to use the law to somehow make them less credible? Yeah. You, is that surprising to you, writer, journalist? Like, and it doesn't, you can still maintain your journalistic integrity and point that out. But then to say, oh, so I don't know if then everything that happened to these women, it may not be um, thought of as being correct because this document was incorrect. Yeah. 
I mean, you guys, we we are we this whataboutism is what keeps people silent. Mm-hmm. Well, and I want to speak to my own conditioning. So uh, we're not going to go over the details, but just know that it's a pretty horrifying story. Yeah. And um, consistently, consistently, like she goes through a whole time frame, and there isn't like a point where you're like, well, this was good. Like it was consistently traumatizing. And the one thing that I'm kind of conditioned to ask, and I'm calling myself out on my ignorance. So throughout this, this three hour or whatever it is, two part documentary, I'm totally on her side the entire time. Mm -hmm. And I think that this man belongs in jail. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. But I also, there was, I, I caught myself saying like, oh, you just, why didn't you just walk away? Or mm-hmm. some of these awful things. And I would be, I, I found myself focusing my attention because she had resources. She's a famous actress. Just get out of that place. This is not like the woman who's living in this really tough town who can't make, get by on her own means. So I think I want to talk today about Please. trauma. I want to, with your support, about trauma and why somebody, but the reason I'm bringing that up is, we, uh, I would say when I was watching this horrifying documentary about what this man allegedly did, mm-hmm. uh, I found myself just get, just get out of there, just get out of there. So, and I just, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm thinking about this when I'm not thinking about these awful things that this man did. Yeah. You're saying to the woman, get out of this instead of saying to the man, why are you doing this? Exactly. And most of the time during watching this documentary, I was like, I'd be like, this guy, is 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 not well mm-hmm. to do something that to something to do something like that to another human being mean in my judgment means that he's just not well mm-hmm. and but the fact that I even like my my brain even pivoted towards her just saying we'll just leave is in, is insane and I just want to talk about well that. and it's not insane what it is is you've been conditioned to do that yeah. you've been conditioned to question you have been because what too many people do and this is about assault abuse um, just personal experiences is they will say well I've never experienced that so that must not be a real thing yeah. there's even a moment in this documentary where Evan Rachel Wood calls her father to come help her and she and her father are are managing their relationship and they are um, getting better, getting closer, being more honest and vulnerable. But there is a part where he, she calls him and says, I feel suicidal. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm busy. I'm in a play, but you can call my buddy in New York. And which she obviously didn't because she's not going to call a stranger about that. Um, but what he said later when asked is he said, I had never felt that way. So I just assumed it really wasn't life or death. That dad was... Uh, misinformed on when somebody says, and I don't want to give myself too much credit, but when somebody talks about harming themselves, Mm -hmm. I stop what I'm doing. You take it seriously. And I think most people, maybe I'm wrong, would stop what they're doing. And this is the dad, like this is one of the most like shocking moments of this documentary happened in like the last 20 minutes is this dad's like, you know what, I'm working, but call my buddy. Like I just can't relate to that. And what I said to you is that his loves are out of order. Right. He chose work over his daughter. What's interesting is most of the time when moms or dads get put in this position, it's rarely ever this life or death situation. It's something like, oh, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling depressed. Mm-hmm. But this guy was given the gift of of being shown that this is life or death, and he still chose to go back to work. Because he had never experienced it. Yeah. So he's like, if I can't run it through my frame of reference... 
and it doesn't make sense to me, then she isn't having this experience. And the reason why I wanted to bring up this, you know, this specifically is that's basically what happens to people watching trauma survivors is they say, well, I would have never been in that situation or I've never been in the situation. It's why as a woman who is a therapist who it speaks about these things and I'm, I have a wonderful partner and, you know, children, but I have been in these situations mm-hmm. and that's why I talk about it because I want you to understand that I was very educated and I came from a good home and I, and I had experiences where I was like pulled into something and allowed myself to be gaslit, mm-hmm. abused. And when I say allowed myself, I'm not blaming myself, mm-hmm. but I, I went in, I I know how this can happen. It's why I study these things because nobody joins a cult. People do things because they think they're doing something good. No one chooses a, an abusive relationship. They get into it because they think that they're seen and that they're special and then it becomes abusive. This is what happens. And I work with women who have these experiences all the time. Like when Todd was watching this, you know, he was having some aha moments and, and I said, Todd, I hear these stories all the time. Well, and that's what I want to talk about really quick. And I know we got so much to go yeah. over it, but that's why it's a two-part podcast. Um, it was, it's almost like the, the horrifying details of this documentary is almost, it's an excuse for good men who I see and work with, including, and I include myself in that, to dismiss it. And what I'm talking about, yeah. because it's so extreme. Yeah. And what you're helping me realize yeah. This is much more prevalent. So I don't want, I'm, I'm one of the hopes of, of talking about this documentary is that the men will watch it. Yeah. That's one of my hopes. And when you watch it, I judge that you're going to say something that, that I would say to myself, which is, uh, well, I would never do this. Right. And I don't even know anybody who would do this. Mm, That's the misinformation. And Mm -hmm. that is not true. Abuse Mm -hmm. is rampant through relationships. Mm -hmm. And I would love to say that my friends and all of the people that they know has no abuse, but it's simply not true. Well, and I can tell you that there's, I've had several experiences, but four specifically with certain people, five, um, they're still out there doing their thing. They're still friends with people and doing their thing and doing their business. And so if you knew any of them, Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is, and this is the thing. These are people's partners mm-hmm. and these are people's, you know, family members or these are, and so it's not like Marilyn Manson gives us a very obvious visual representation of, of a monster. He wants to be perceived that way, but he, yeah. he claims he's being ironic yeah. and he claims that he's trying to hold a mirror up to people and demonstrate, you know, what we really believe and questioning everything when it comes to light, dark gender norms. Like he's... He's, he says he's being ironic, yet the truth is underneath it all is a lot of anger, sadness, hatred, misogyny, um, shame, because that's the thing that I was going to say is probably my favorite part of this documentary, which I think you said you were going to play it, is the understanding that when people are hurt as children, when they go through traumatic experiences where they are harmed and they are not helped through it, supported through it, and heard. Because again, remember, not every pain our kids go to go through becomes some trauma that they play out later in life. If they have an experience and they are supported and heard and understood and validated, that can be integrated into their understanding but not become a long-term challenge. Yeah. But when children are hurt and not believed, 
when they are harmed and it is not seen or validated, when they are told they are being manipulative, when they are told they are trying to, you know, get what they want, um, this is when, or they're blamed for what happened to them. This is when something happens in them where they make a choice to go one of two ways. Okay. And this is, gosh, I mean, this is just so true. You either start hurting people because hurt people hurt people and you take all of that discomfort and shame and rage and you impose it on other people because you feel like the world is to blame and you want to burn down the world or hurt other people. Or you say, I will never let this happen to a person again. And you become more of a, um, I don't like the word hero as much as I like um, activist person who speaks up about you their experiencing, it. you use it to make the world better. Do you want to hear it in, yeah, in the ahead. documentary mm-hmm. itself? All right. A lot of people are abused and not all of those people go on to abuse other people. I'm sorry, Ginger, but we have to do this. But some do. And it's the difference between remaining a victim or becoming a survivor. You either have the resources or the mindset to get help and to face those demons and to want to change. Or you go the other way. And you stay in the trauma. You never face it. You never deal with it. You internalize it. And you take all the pain that you feel and you perpetuate more and more abuse. Look at me because I'm... That's it right there. And this is like, this is why there's so many things that Todd and I have talked about on this show where we're, like Todd said, we are just talking about everyday things sometimes, you know, connecting with your child, making them feel heard in a certain situation, um, you know, making sure that, you know, if it's something about sports or grades or whatever, that they know that they're bigger than these things and that they can get through it. Some of this is very like everyday. And some of these things are big things, meaning that if our children consequential, consequential, that if over time they feel disconnected, if over time they feel unheard, if over time they are dealing with something clinical that we are unwilling to support them through or acknowledge and really well-meaning parents, you guys, I work with so many people who say things like, you know, my kid, you know, we helped them with this and we did, you know, we did what we could. And I just think that they just need to get back to school and start again. Like there's like a kind of like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, which I hear, like I hear the parents, you know, too, where they need support in continuing on. This is not about blaming parents. This is about saying a lot of times we try and bypass things like, you know, they're manipulating me, you know, they're, or, um, you know, I don't know why they're acting that way. I, as if there is that children's behavior is often indicative of what's going on. I just said often indicative. It's, it's indicative of what's going on inside of them. Now that doesn't mean that things like hormones and puberty and challenges and societal pressures, that's a part of it too. It's not just one negative experience. It can be a lot of things, but allowing them to vocalize these things and speak about them is how they release this tension instead of having it be behavioral, instead of having it be where they start to separate from themselves. Where they like one, you know, we could go really deep into specifically Evan Rachel Wood and what she shares, but this is true for everybody. Um, is if you, she talks about how as a kid, lots of experiences that she had, but overall, okay, but some challenging experiences. Like it's kind of one of those stories that 
a lot of us can relate to, right? Parents used to fight. Used to fight, and, and then there was some separation, and, you know, so difficult. But one of the things she said that really struck me, because this is what I hear from women all the time, is she had lost her sense of self. She didn't know who she was anymore, and she was doing things to support her mom or to isolate from her dad or to try and be close to her brother or to find herself. And she never really knew who she was. So then when someone comes in when you're 18 and says, you're special, I see you. I think nobody else gets you but me. It's this vacuum. They they can fill that up and and take that that's how it can begin. So this is why like understanding it, and I want to give Todd a chance to reply back to this, but I wanted to go over the words that are used, and they do a really good job in this documentary of going through this language to how somebody can get invested in someone that ends up hurting them, how they can get involved in an organization that ends up traumatizing them. There are ways that this happens. So there are steps. So go so ahead. So it's just, if I can kind of rephrase what you just said, sure. is unless we are doing our best as parents to make our kids feel worthy, mm-hmm. then if we don't do that, there's a void there. Mm-hmm. And then as we grow up, as kids grow up, as human beings grow up, if we don't have it, if we can't know that we're valuable as we are just because we're breathing... And we think that there's a part of us that are no good. And in Evan Rachel Wood's standpoint, she never really felt like... She didn't know who she was. She was. Mm -hmm. So somebody, this guy, um, decided to fill that void Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. with um, words, acts, behaviors that made her feel good about Mm -hmm. herself. Special. Special. And that was the foundation... Correct. ...to allow herself to deal with things that normal human beings who do feel special about themselves would never accept. Right. And it, it doesn't mean it still can't happen. Mm-hmm. It just means that it, it might be there. The reason that I feel like all these cult shows are coming out and all of these shows about people's experiences with abuse and trauma is because we're realizing that the more you talk about it and see the signs, like for example, you know, I, I don't have a problem doing this anymore. Like, do, regardless of your politics, to deny that, that Trump is a narcissist is ridiculous. He is. And you can say, but I liked this about him, or you don't, you know, what about this? Or what, what about this party? Or I'm not trying to debate the politics. He is a narcissist. I mean, do you want me to read what narcissism is? Just sure. so you can kind of, you know, have an understanding. Um, okay, let's see. Well, that's love bombing. Okay. So have an exaggerated sense of self-importance, have a sense of entitlement, and it needs excessive admiration, expect to be recognized as superior without any achievements that warrant it, exaggerate achievements and talents, be preoccupied with fantasies of success, power, brilliance, and beauty of a perfect mate, believe they are superior and can only associate with special people, monopolize conversations, belittle, look down on people they perceive as being inferior, and there's 10 more. So can anyone debate me well, on that that is not who that person is? What's interesting about that list is it's all outwardly focused. Correct. So there's nothing inside of a narcissist that like the value is only predicated on how others 
perceive. perceive. And that's a very good distinction because sociopathy or being a sociopath versus a narcissist, you can have a sociopath who is a narcissist. But what the difference is, if we really had to weed it out, is a narcissist is doing everything to make sure they are seen mm -hmm. as vital, important, valuable, because they have no sense of self. Yeah. So to your point, everything is external. Sociopaths often, that may be part of it, but they're like off, they're less concerned about maybe their appearance or the way they look. And they're really just trying to manipulate people and have no regard for other for people. Others. They have no like, they have no respect for other people. No capacity for empathy. No capacity right? for empathy. Yeah. So for example, like this is a dumb one, but you know, we'll stay in pop culture. Dirty John. Yeah. Do you remember that podcast and that TV show? Yeah. He was a narcissist for sure, but he, well, let me say this again. He may he had some narcissistic behaviors, but he also was more concerned about, he, he didn't care about other people. Mm -hmm. And he did not, he sometimes showed up dirty and gross yeah. and he didn't look like, he wasn't like, I need to look a certain way. So you then value me. Yeah. He just was taking advantage of yeah. people. And so, and that's like a dumb example. It's just, I just so happened. <laughs> Someone just brought up Dirty John to me the other day. Um, we decided that we're going to do two 45 oh. minute podcasts. Okay. Are we already 45 we're minutes? We're at 45 then? minutes. Okay. Can, so, can I end this yeah, with end a this. teaser? Sure. Is in next week, what I, what I'm going to talk about is these specific things that people who are trying to, you know, bring you in, the people who assault you, the people who traumatize you, these are steps that they commonly take. And why is it important that we know this? Because we need to know, we need to look for it. We need to understand what it is. We need to understand why certain things are too good to be true. There's a reason why we say that phrase. Yeah. Um, we need to, we need to recognize things early so we don't get pulled in. Yeah and get deeper into a difficult situation. So there's your teaser for next Tuesday. Um, I do want to make a few announcements. One yes. is you have an amazing book called Zen Parenting. I do. Thank you. Caring for ourselves and our children in an unpredictable world. You can get it on our website or on Amazon or wherever you find your bookstores. In Kindle, audiobook, and paperback. So whatever version and spring break, everybody. If you're going on spring break, there you go. grab a book. Um, we have Team Zen, uh, 139 Zen Talks. It's a community of like-minded parents just supporting one another. And then uh, finally, Men Living, we have uh, a special guest coming Thursday, April 7th, and this is open to all genders. And uh, a few months ago, we had Anne-Marie Chereso uh -huh. on the podcast. We're having her husband, Kim, on, oh. and Kim is going to talk about infidelity and shame. Oh. So if anybody is interested, uh, you can go to the Men Living website, and I'll include the link in the show notes, but that's Thursday, April 7th. Uh, just hearing a man talk about how he worked through infidelity through a marriage in a very kind of special way. So, um, and then last but not least, Jeremy Craft, he's a bald headed beauty, paint and re painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. 63093, uh, 63093, oh, I forgot his name. I forgot his number. That's our old phone number. I know. <laughs> Uh, just do you want me to look it up? Go to the show notes. It, it'll be on there. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. Painting and remodeling. Isn't the brain interesting? I've been saying his number for 630-956-1800. Yeah. Say it again. 630-956-1800. Good. My brain was playing tricks on me. Um, so we'll see you next Tuesday. Keep trucking, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen 
pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.